Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing fabulous. The weather outside is a little sketchy. It's really blustery and blowing. So we're going to go indoors for a jam today. So I'm looking forward to that. But before the jam today, we have got a guest that I am so fired up about. I'm so happy that He has made some time to join us. When you're talking about the all-time great players, the greatest players of all time, this person is in the conversation, in my opinion. He is just one of those rare jammers that just makes you feel at ease when you're watching them. And also, you just like you can't believe what it is that they're doing. So with that, I would like to welcome in Chipper Bro Bell. Hey, Chip, thanks for joining us here at Shooting the Frisbees. Oh, thanks so much, Randy. Thanks for that intro. Uh, Good morning, Jake. How's everybody doing today? Wonderful. We're doing great. How are you, Chip? Good, good. Just chilling at home. We got a, a, I'm sitting over, looking over a balcony here at the ocean and looking, it's pretty windy, so it won't be a day to get too much going outside, but uh, maybe as Randy said, we'll take something indoors later, but stoked to chat with you guys. This is really an honor. Yeah, it's definitely an honor for us too. So, um, why don't we just jump in and start asking you questions to see where we go. So, um, <laughs> so with this, let's ask the question that we start off with everybody, which is how did Frisbee come into your life? Wow. Um, you know, it started back when, uh, in, in the early seventies for me, uh, growing up in Santa Barbara. Um, I remember, uh, uh, seeing Frisbee itself probably about 1974, 75. And I was with my mom uh, walking at this, uh, at, at Palm Park, actually, south of the pier. And uh, we were walking through the art show. And I probably was about 11 or 12 years old. And I was walking through the palm trees uh, at Palm Park, kind of in and out of the art show there and walking again with my mom. And I saw freestyle frisbee i saw the frisbee flying and i saw somebody spin and catch it behind their back i was like whoa totally captivated me right there and i started watching and uh saw the flow of these two players just kind of throwing back and forth and i thought it was so cool kind of my first intro to see like a behind the back catch or something and uh, later on it turns out i think that was uh, tom shepherd and evan david playing at that time yeah. Wow. In 74 at Palm Park. Yeah. Yeah. They were kind of innovative and uh, doing some, some cool uh, flow tricks. It was so neat to see uh, uh, that wind play, too, as they were kind of brushing it a bit. And, uh, again, more of a flow and trick throws uh, were really going off. <laughs> I remember my mom getting pretty far down the boardwalk there and her calling out my name. Jibber, it's time to go. I lost total interest of the art show and found myself leaning up against a tree that I would later find in my life to be one of my favorite palm trees of all time. Yeah, you were lost in another art. You were like, hey, that's my (laughs) art show right there. I think I'll I'll take some of that. 
so Chip, did you own a Frisbee at that point, or had you never seen it before? You know, Frisbees were, were moving around uh, a bit, and not so much that I had ever been captivated as, uh, as a, a form of art or freestyle or that captivation that got me of, of uh, seeing that, um, you know, trick catches and stuff. But there were Frisbees flying. And, yeah, I think we had a whammo around the house, and I'd play a bit with my little sister, um, but we sucked so bad. And I, did, I, didn't thought, I thought it was more of a toy. Hula hoops were big. Uh, it wasn't until later that I started getting into what I thought the coolest thing around in the late 70s was called alternative sports. And that's when Frisbee, I saw, was working into that word alternative sports. Of course, long before X Games, kind of the birth of extreme was seeing that opportunity of um, that freestyle in the early days of probably 77, 78. I saw a guy spin uh, in a Pepsi commercial as well. I thought that was so cool. It wasn't until about my uh, junior year in high school that summer, we started playing with a, a 119 in the backyard of uh, my buddy's house, Doug Salters. Doug the Bum and I would just play and play before school. And then we found Palm Park and uh, lots, lots to talk about after that. Did you see a, a tournament your first time was the next step? Or is it just going down to Palm Park and like going, whoa, there it is going to a whole nother level? You know, actually, I was uh, formed through uh, getting more and more into Frisbee. Doug and I uh, formed a Frisbee a, uh, ultimate team in high school, uh, senior years in, in uh, Santa Barbara, uh, San Marcos High School. We named our team the Bums, and uh, we were captivated with the ultimate team, the Condors. And the Condors yeah. at the time were the world champions. And right. That attracted the best Frisbee players in the world around the Condors. And that's when I started to see going to the ultimate tournaments. The sidelines had a lot of freestyle stuff going on uh, in 79. And Doug and I were playing a lot of ultimate. Uh, right. But the freestyle was more of uh, kind of moving toward. Um, I didn't have to run as much and stuff as I started just doing tricks and liking <laughs> freestyle a lot more. You know, during that time, I remember the Condors being amazing, like they were sort of superstars in a way. But everybody was doing all the events back in those days. So even though you had these amazing players playing Ultimate, they were also doing the other events um, as well. So it was definitely much more integrated uh, with the other events. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's what we were doing too, playing ultimate and uh, Frisbee golf and natural courses around our parks using like 165s as golf discs or the old whammos with numbers on them. Just kind of more of a, just see how much Frisbee we can play anytime. And, but found ourselves always getting back to Palm Park. And uh, that's when um, in 79, that's when uh, Jay Hinkle, you know, one of the star uh, legends of Palm Park, JB and I went to the 79 Rose Bowl and sat in the stands and watched. And uh, wow. it was pretty cool. We uh, watched it all. And I'd set a goal in 79 and said, JB, I'm going to be on that field in like two years. I'm going to be there. I'm going to, I want to play like that. You were, you were in the Rose Bowl watching the event happen before you really got yeah. into freestyle? Huh. Yeah, me and JB went down there and um, we paid, I think, 10 bucks to get in or something. And, wow. Uh, yeah, sat in the stands and uh, was like, shit, that's some shit down there. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it that you saw at the Rose Bowl that really drew you in? 
Well, watching Joey and Donnie and Richie and, and Felderbaum and those guys, I had no idea who they were, but I was like, wow, look at that. The first time I saw routines put together, and it was kind of like a track meet too. There was a lot going on on the fields back then and things going on. And I remember see, being a little more chaotic and not so focused, but uh, seeing the freestyle is like, you know, for me, <laughs> it's kind of a, a show off since I was about uh, five years old. I love getting in front of people, but I saw the cameras. And back then, I think it was Wide World of Sports. I don't know. It was these big cameras. It was before ESPN. And uh, I was like, shit, those guys are like on gnarly TV, too. (laughs) (laughs) You were going to be a star. Uh, Yeah, and then you turned out to be a star, indeed. So you're there at the Rose Bowl, and you make that that statement to Jay. So then where does it go from there? You leave the Rose Bowl, you go back to Palm Park, and how does the story continue? Well, actually, yeah, Palm Park is still in high school, so I had to go back to school, too, and checked in with Doug again, Doug the Bum, and our Ultimate team. Doug and I said, you know what, we're going to make it to the finals of Ultimate, and I go, I'm going to do freestyle, we're going to do it. So Let's see, my first partner, of course, was Jay. We were just doing some demos around, trying to make things work in 79, and then started playing with Rick Rivet. Uh, And Rick was a Palm Park player. Now I'm at Palm Park, and people are playing there, Joey and and Richie and Kate and uh, Connie Bond. And the whole thing is, I mean, I got my first year out of high school. Palm Park was like the the, the greatest players of, of, of my time were, were all there. And it was a natural thing of, of such inspiring young artists and disc players that none of us blended in with traditional sports, basketball, football, baseball in some ways. But we all kind of blended into this alternative sport that gave us our family and gave us a place to be. And I was just so intrigued with my first summer out of high school and going down to Palm Park, not only seeing the best players around, but shoot, everybody had the best weed too. And it was just such a great place to commemorate, sit around, create community and start to freestyle jam and music and fun. And um, Palm Park became kind of a mecca. And me finding Rick Rivet, uh, we started working out and training. That said, we get uh, kind of my first tournament got to be Santa Cruz then in 1981. And we got to go up to Santa Cruz and play. I think I played one or two tournaments or something in uh, 1980. Santa Barbara Open maybe. But 1981, I had a lot of great lessons learned. One of my favorite lessons was 1981, getting to be a judge for my first tournament in Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara Open, and watching these great players, I I got my judging sheet and sat down and was so eager when I was like 18, 19 years old, and I started scoring the scores and uh, saw a beautiful routine from uh, Evan David and Corey Bassow. And Corey, my God, I'm such a fan of his style, what he does. I was like, shit, that guy is so good. But the Santa Barbara guys were playing. I think Joey, everybody was there. And I ended up putting Corey and Evan in second place, making it to the finals. While uh, on my judging sheet, I wrote Santa Barbara rules. And uh, uh, Corey looked at the judging sheets and I, uh, he approached me and said, Hey, Chipper, you know, uh, you little punks coming up in the Frisbee world think you know what you're doing. And we had a much better score than you gave us. And he goes, I think it's uh, a bunch of bullshit that you uh, put Santa Barbara rules on your sheet. And within one second, 
he cold cocked me right in the face and knocked me down. Oh and, my God. Uh, really? Yeah, for reals. And, um, I really went down. People got up, they started to pull him away. I was, uh, shaken cause, uh, my nonviolence was like tripped out. And, uh, anyways, uh, the most beautiful part of it was, is, um, uh, how you guys, um, I believe that for me personally, I became the most unbiased judge in our sport. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, you mean that's the solution to getting good unbiased judges that everybody needs to get punched in the face? <laughs> no. Oh, no. Yeah, no, that no. Not the way. No, but that is not the way. It was lesson back in the day of wow. you little punks coming up in the Frisbee world. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. What an introduction. I'm amazed that you yeah. decided to hang in there and continue on after. Well, again, I was very clear and I wanted to be that unbiased. I wanted it to be right. And I really enjoyed developing, you know, and still watching the best judging systems go, you know, in, in, in our sport has uh, always intrigued me. But a uh, lesson learned. But uh, Rick and I, that tournament, we didn't uh, make it out of the semifinals. That, or no, the prelims, uh, that one. And uh, again, lessons learned about what I could do and going back to the drawing board. It was pretty neat, you guys. That time, we were working out quite a bit in 81. And Joey, Richie, the whole team's down there. I mean, Jay, and I mean, so many people. Kirkland, Donnie Rhodes was living there. Can't think of them all. Did they embrace you? Did they like say, "Hey, hey, young punk, come on in here. We wanna, we want you to grow." Did that happen? Well, around '81, I remember thinking, "Okay, I'm gonna hang out with you guys." I'd learned to cut the delay and some, you know, over the leg move or something. Um, I was kind of freestyling, but one of my other wake up calls was, I think it was from, I think the Coloradicals were in town that time, and I think Dougie Brannigan turned to me, goes, "Hey, Chipper, if you want to play with us, you got to learn how to throw." left <laughs> and uh i started learning counter i mean and uh he said you got to learn how to throw left left so counter. yeah counter ah, he said you got to oh. learn how to throw counter throws and stuff just get your throws better you know <laughs> right, right. hot move bad throw you know how it goes so uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're like okay dude that was fun for a little while but um hey yeah it was sort of embrace what was neat about what it was like hanging out with kirkland he said guy you kind of have a lanky body long arms skinny body I weighed about 170 pounds at the time and, you know, and learning monster and learning innovative moves. That was kind of fun and bracing, but it was also kind of, it was just family. We were all so young and we all became friends and had that exact same passion. It was organic, you know, getting together, but you had to kind of prove yourself and whatnot, but not prove yourself, just stay dedicated is what it was. If you were really dedicated, then you can flow into you know, playing with all like Joey, you know, like it was. Yeah. Yeah. All those players you're mentioning are super intimidating. If you're just brand new coming in and back in those, back in that time, it was a little more difficult to kind of break into the circle. At least that's what I remember uh, up in my neck of the woods in Seattle. So I'm sure it was mm -hmm. even more amplified for you. You've got all these legends, not knowing they were going to be legends, but like, wow. Yeah, there could be probably 12 to maybe 20 people, five to seven days a week at Palm Park back then. And uh, every day, show up around 10 or whenever you got up. And I, we, uh, a lot of us ended up working in 1981 at a, uh, all as busboys and waiters at the Sheraton, 
which was across the street from Palm Park. And it was uh, me, Joey, Mark Regalbooty, Jay. I think Richie worked there for a while. Anyways, it was so cool that we all kind of got together in those ways. But 1981, we ended up going to Santa Cruz. That was a great tournament for me to see. And uh, parachuters came in at De La Viega. And what was funny is I'm like, wow, it's a far cry from uh, the Rose Bowl. You know, it had really changed, like, what my right. vision was going to be. Here I'm at the side of a park and I'm next to a river. and right. uh, But it was it was that grassroots freestyle that kept me attracted to it. Like, wow, this is even better. Going to Sonoma and sleeping under the redwood trees on the field, having enough nuts and berries to get through the next day, you know. Uh, right. Yeah, that 81 Santa Cruz tournament, I think that's where the Velasquez brothers unveiled their beat it routine, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah, Richie Bartle played back then. And I remember Connie Bond, they had themed uh, shows. I think they played the Time Warp or something and everybody sang along. And it was crazy, but lots of teams back then, lots of uh, theatrical stuff and stuff going on. Rick and I played to uh, to the doors, uh, break on through to the other side. And, uh, well, we didn't, we uh, didn't make it out of the prelims, but <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> quite a thrill to, uh, to get there. Let me ask you about sleeping under the redwoods. So was that a common thing for you to do? Just camping out at the tournaments? Yeah, it was, you know, of course the hotel world wasn't an option. If we had a Volkswagen bus like Kate Dow's man, we could get a few people in that or cuddle in someone's the gray whale or these big buses that we could drive around and go from tournament to tournament in Texas, Colorado, um, Seattle guys, Canada folks would be hanging. So cool. Um, so did you have a bus or were you just hitching rides with people? I would hitch rides personally. Yeah. For myself, uh, it was 1981. I think was it was 81 went to Texas. Maybe that was 83. I'm sorry, but, um, yeah, made it to Texas, kind of hitchhiking with Frisbee players, slept on the field at Auditorium Shores in Austin, and uh, that was my first uh, meeting. That uh, was at 81. Uh, my first meeting with Stevie Ray Vaughan. That was pretty cool at wow. Auditorium Shores there. But that summer went through, and then we kept jamming. I went back to the drawing board after August, September, October, November, worked out real hard and was just trying more moves, pushing myself really hard and having long workout days. It was uh, 1981, New Year's Eve, and uh, everyone's getting together to party and have fun and going out. We ended up at this house for New Year's Eve and Kate and friends and all the jammers were there and I was sitting on the couch there with Joey and next to my right, we are just partying, having fun, laughing. And Joey turned to me and he says, hey, Chipper, you want to play together next year and partner up? And I was like, uh, wow. Yeah. Me? <laughs> I'm still having made it out of any well, well, Wow. Wow. Me. Is this a New Year's Eve joke? Or I know exactly. I was just like, what? He's just all smiling and happy. Just looking at me all glowy. I'm all, um, well, that sounds great. I'm all, you know, you have a lot of choices out there. Why don't, like Donnie or somebody or so I don't know who you got a lot of choices bro and he said chipper I want to play with the most dedicated players and right now you're it and 
Wow. So uh, that quite changed a things. And, yeah. And it, we didn't say you're the best or you're anything or you're the hot. You just said you're the most dedicated. And uh, that was, a, a, yeah, pretty cool. So 82, uh, that spring, we started uh, working together and working on a routine. And I think it was in that springtime, we started to put together uh, a routine. And I think we're going to go to uh, Texas also. But Robert Lauer from uh, Palm Springs, Coachella Valley, in a little town called Thermal, invited uh, Joey and I and Richie and Roosevelt all down in my 1950 pickup truck. Uh, and we went down to uh, work on his date farm for dates and palm tree dates. And we ended up becoming uh, <laughs> pollinators <laughs> for the date trees. <laughs> and we went, wow. <laughs> we went off, climbed the tree. <laughs> and you should see Richie, Roosevelt, and Joey getting these freaking ladders. They're like 25 feet long and put them and lean them into the fronds of the palm tree. And then you have your pollen in this little dispenser. <laughs> and you go up the tree and you uh, take this process to contain the flower. And then you pump this this pumper and the pollen comes out and you pollinate the flower and we could do like four or five flowers an hour. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No pollinator. Yeah. It was so funny. I can't breathe. Holy crap. Okay. <laughs> And you guys, you can look it up, you guys. You guys can go to the, the websites. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> yeah, I'm now doing... <laughs> yeah, that was... You're going to look... Yeah, right. Go to the website for professional pollinators. <laughs> what are you going to find? <laughs> look at that website. There's nothing about date trees there. I'll tell you that. Now, to bring it full back, the place is called the Flying Disc Ranch. <laughs> The Flying Disc Ranch. Wow. And uh, <laughs> so anyways, uh, oh, Lord. Robert, so here's the best part, though, is that in the mo- we would be done with our pollinating by 11 or 12 in the morning because, remember, we're in, you know, near Palm Springs and that weather would get to be 90 and 100 degrees. And so we would go work on our routine at called the College of the Desert at about one in the afternoon would it be about 105 as we trained and got ready to play in Texas in the humidity, we would play when the sprinklers came on in, in the fields so that our bodies would be wet and we would work on our routine and see if how slippery the arm would get or how it would slide across you or how you would grip it or whatever it might be, be wet. Cause that was, you know, playing at Palm park every day. The world wasn't like that when we'd go travel. So we, going down to Palm Springs was also to train for those other conditions. Right. That was wow. that was when Joey was pushing me really hard and telling me when I would try a move like I don't know, kind of like a, a right-handed. I remember doing a right-handed counter over my right leg to a right hand behind the back pole or something, and it was a spin it or something, and I'm like, I can't do it, I can't, he's like, you can do it, you can do it, push yourself, and literally, like, 40, 50 times, 
And I remember, like, even pushing me to the, almost the brinks of tears, like, I didn't want to fucking do the move. <laughs> but he's, we did, and we did it. We were working on this this move uh, that we, I think that one was called uh, All God, One Faith. And <laughs> it was really <laughs> wow. hard. <laughs> wow. He was a taskmaster, man. He was a taskmaster. Yeah, he was. But that helped push my game. And what was neat about, I think, our styles, we begin to complement, I think, each other a bit was, you know, he had this New York style that was uh, tight, tipping, you know, the New York style. And I had the the Palm Park style more of flow and letting the disc, fly, you know, go up out away from the body a little bit more. And he also taught me to say, you know, yo, what the fuck? And I taught him how to say, have a nice day. And so <laughs> with that, we kind of... <laughs> We started to complement each other, and uh, and I think that we put different styles together. I think kind of helped develop our Stoke in in developing our style and what we did, and, and yeah. that was uh, moving into '82. So you were the yin and yang for each other. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 indeed. Yes, Chip, you and Joey certainly were the yin and yang for each other, and. Uh, you know, it's it's good to know that there's professional pollinators out there as well. Uh, certainly hit my funny bone there with Chip telling that story. I mean, he kind of has his little giggle and that just got infectious and, and I lost it. So there it is. Um, I know you kind of thought it was fairly funny too, Jake. Oh my God, you totally lost it. I was laughing at you because you lost it so much. <laughs> <laughs> but it was an amazing story. I know. Well, it's just that idea of them putting those ladders up there and going up there and <laughs> doing that. It just, I don't know. That just hit my funny bone. You know, what are you going to do? I'm going to just be thankful. I love those moments when that happens. So yes, I'll embrace it. Well, I just want to give a shout out to all of our patrons. We really appreciate your support of uh, Frisbee Guru and of this podcast. It's what helps us keep the lights on. Indeed. And on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com.